Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the JDA Football Podcast. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about the recent results, including Manchester United's draw with Philippe Coutinho's new Aston Villa. Also, Everton have sacked Rafa Benitez. We'll get in the thoughts of Alex on that one. And last but not least, we're going to talk about Newcastle and them getting knocked out of the FA Cup by Cambridge United and what their future holds for them at St. James's Park. All of that to come, of course. But I'm glad to say that we've got all three of us. Wow. A long First time, time like nearly a year. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was last year, wasn't it? How is everyone doing, Joe? I'll go to you first because me and Alex managed to get one before the new year. I'm pretty good, yeah. Just okay. chilling. Yeah, what about it? you? Yeah, all right. Um, my hair's looking a bit rough. I don't know why. I need to get a cut, but we'll soon sort it out. Alex, you've had exams. How yeah, it's been um, a bit tiring, but I'm back up to it now. So yeah. Good, good, good. Right, so I've said to Alex, because it's literally the biggest news thing that's come out of football this week, Rafa Benitez has been sacked from Everton, if no one's heard. It never was really going to work out for him, was it, Alex? We'll come on to Duncan Ferguson in a minute, but how would you describe Rafa's reign at Everton? Um, I think it was a, a very sticky one to to come into. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone was, was uh, asking questions when he first signed, you know, um, ex-Liverpool manager coming in from the Chinese league where he's just got relegated pretty much and um, we're, we're there giving him uh, a whole load of money uh, and then I mean I think you've got to really uh, respect it from the Everton fans like although he was no one's first choice we, we welcomed it with open arms we gave him a chance and um, it's it's a bit questionable because coming into the job you'd think he, he understands the challenge that he's uh, he's put himself into like going to a club that has rivaled the team that he's won the Champions League with. He hasn't got much money going into it. And um, he, he must have known that he just had to, to get some wins. And although it started off well, you got like some of the results that we started getting nearer to when he was sacked pretty much uh, validates why he was sacked. Like I think personally, he should have been sacked after we lost to Wolves. Um, you know, like all of them fixtures. And then, Obviously, things just started going a bit not right for him, but um, he managed to keep his job. Uh, my mind goes back to the two-one win over Arsenal uh, at home after we'd been battered by by Liverpool the week before. So I think at certain moments it just kept going right for him for for him to keep his job. But I think the the loss to Norwich, everyone would agree, would um, would be the the final straw for me. Definitely, Joe. Have you got anything to add? Yeah, I think it's funny that you're saying that now. Four days ago, you put on your Instagram saying, wasn't welcome, isn't welcome, will never be welcome. So a uh, slightly different attitude there, slightly different uh, outlook I think, on this signing. I think overall, like you, I think with most fans, I think we'd all say that whoever comes into our football club, whoever starts managing them, we've got to give them like a bit of respect and because like they're in charge of our football club, you have to support them but at the end of the day like no one at Everton Football Club except the owners wanted Rafa Benitez here so um, although I would have backed him if he had uh, got some good results at the end of the day he didn't get the results and yeah well so 16th currently that's how far he's taking it I think this is the worst manager in Everton's history modern day history sorry to manage Everton and be this low in the table I think was there a guy called Mark or Mike there was a manager, I can't remember his name. And Is he it was, Mike Smith? 
Yeah, it might have been him. And he was like the yeah. worst. But he's Rafa's like sort of overtaken him in the worst. Yeah, I think um, he's had the, the second lowest win percentage of any Everton manager ever, which is um, pretty disgraceful considering some of the managers we've had in, in recent years. Um, but I really don't know why he was, wasn't sacked earlier. Like, you got results like a 3-0 loss away to Villa in, in a time where Villa, although they're going well now, at that point, you were, we like, were struggling. We were and then conceding five at home to Watford, who are now look, who now look like they, they could be on their way to relegation. Uh, it's, it's just appalling. And then, obviously, we get some of those results, like the 2-1 win over Arsenal, which gave us some hope. But then the week after, we go to Palace and concede three. So, I mean, it was never going to work out. I just got this uh, quote from Stephen Warnock. I was listening to his podcast this morning. I want to know what you make out make of it. We're not even spoke about Luca Dean. I want to get Joe's perspective of this as well because he's going into Aston Villa. But this is what he had to say. He said Luca Dean loved Everton. If he loved Everton that much, he would have stayed. What do you think about that? It's it's another weird one. Like um, every time he stepped on the pitch, really, Luca Dean seemed like the type of player that he'd fight for Everton Football Club. Uh, I saw some pictures of him like have Everton on his football boots and stuff like that. He brought his uh, kids up to support Everton. So I think through everything, I can I can see what uh, Everton meant to him. But in terms of like the last couple bits of this season, with the falling out with Rafa and everything, I think it's just kind of soured his relationship. And, and overall, even though Villa are in a, a, a better place than us at the moment, Overall, I wouldn't say they're a, a massively bigger football club than us. They haven't got European I'd say football. I'd very similar size. Yeah, there's no real reason except from the current aspect of, of their football that would give him the reason to, to go, except that Rafa Benitez didn't want him here and he couldn't play football there. And like with Villa, he's an attacking fullback now and I think they'll probably be going with France to the, to the World Cup. But I think he was very much pushed out of Everton. Yeah, I like, think at the end, he didn't really have a reason to stay. Like, or even his messages, it was like he, he really liked the fans. Yeah, and he yeah. just refused to comment on the management. I think, um, I don't know if you saw his Instagram post, any of you, before he left Everton. Like, I think he said something like, there's one person who can come between a beautiful love affair or something like that, classic French. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think Rafa Benitez has just left such a sour patch on this football club that I think it's going to take a long while to get rid of. Do you reckon the players in the dressing room, if they knew that a couple of results like the one against Norwich last weekend would have gone bad and he goes out of the club, do you reckon that's in Luca Dean's head to say, right, I'm thinking of that and I'll think of the long term and let him go and then we'll get a new manager in and I'll stay? Or do you reckon he would have thought that Rafa would have stayed longer, hence why he went to Villa? Well, I, I think I think that's definitely in the back of his mind because obviously the the board and the owners have backed Rafa Benitez over everyone else. Uh, I think Digne had a good uh, relationship with Marcel Brands, the former director of football, and obviously they got rid of Marcel Brands because Rafa Benitez wanted full control. And I think all these steps, such as like sacking all of the medical staff as well, just to suit Rafa Benitez. Uh, slightly soured Everton Football Club for Luca Dean, like a bit by bit by bit. And at the end, even with Rafa Benitez going, which I'm I'm pretty sure he would have been aware of, 
there was just really no reason for him to stay. So personally, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't have gone to gone to Aston Villa. Joe, the other way around, how are you looking at it? You've got Luca Dean, a very, very good fullback, Premier League experience. He slots straight into your team. I mean, he's pretty much a replacement for Target. And it feels bad because Target has been class for us. Uh, and Target will still definitely get game time. But now he's actually going to fight for his position. Yeah. But in my opinion, he was insane against you. Oh, <laughs> I was working at the time, so I couldn't, I couldn't watch the game like properly. But every time I saw him, he was making a threat. And yeah. that's what I like to see. Against United, we have never seemed to make much of a threat. Apart from like Monday, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was just refreshing to see that from a defender. And I think he definitely adds something new to our team. Yeah, I think, I don't know, the just attacking runs. I know sometimes Target does some attacking runs, but I feel, feel like with Luca Dean, there's always chance that he's going to connect with the ball off a volley, off a cross or something. Or he'll get the ball at a standstill and hit it and it's always going to be on target. And and I just think, I don't know. I think target fell off a bit this season because he was sick last season, uh, especially going forward because of Graylish. Graylish knew he was always there uh, and target always knew to put it into Graylish. But now we've lost Graylish and we've got sort of more attacking outlets it's like kind of spread around. I think he was a bit unsure of himself. And that would have came. It would have been developed. But Digne or Dean, the moment he came in, you could see he was confident. Yeah. And like, there were a few defensive slip-ups in, in the first half, which I, I, I was just like, oh, whatever. But it was frustrating, but it was his first game with us. Um, I just thought he was all around. He, he all around played really well. Alex, just to, um, I don't know, just to let us know, what is his actual last name? How do you pronounce it? Just um, for the future. I think it is Dean, but obviously Dean. that's French. And um, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of interviewers uh, say that he doesn't mind being called Digne. So, yeah. Fair enough. Thanks. All right. So I want to get the candidates for the next man to take over Everton. Now, you can add to this as well, Alex, but at the moment in my head, I've got Roberto Martinez, Graham Potter and Wayne Rooney. Is there no, I thought Martinez back? fell through. It did. It did. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Belgium FA blocked it, didn't they? Uh, <sighs> anyone else to add to the list? Um, right, who did you say? Uh, so I said Martinez, but obviously he's been blocked now. Rooney and Graham Potter. I think apparently there's a four-manager shortlist of managers that are going to um, get interviewed. I think there's Fonseca. Um, oh, yeah, he, from Roma. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was at Roma before uh, Mourinho. Uh, Nico Kovac, who obviously just lost his job yeah. at Napoli. Uh, Lampard and Rooney. Lampard, man. So, who you, it, Alex, I'll, I'll let you have the first four. Who are you taking? Who would you want so, from four to one? Four to one. I was going to say, because obviously you mentioned Potter. Yeah. He obviously said in an interview he has yeah. no reason to, to leave Brighton. And, and why would he? I think Brighton all round uh, are a much better run football club at the moment. Uh, and I think there's there's no reason for him to leave. Um, so, obviously, Graham Potter would be my first choice. But of the four, I go... Nico Kovac, because I think 
he's the type of manager who could spur us forward. Then Wayne Rooney, I think he'd get a lot of um, respect out of the players. And I think that's something that Duncan Ferguson has that not many other managers have. So if we get someone like uh, Wayne Rooney in, then I think he could really spur some uh, and definitely some of the younger players on as well. Because we've seen what he's done at Derby. He can definitely do it at Everton. Um, now, I'm not a fan of Fonseca, to be honest with you. I didn't like what he was doing at Roma. So I'd probably go Lampard, then Fonseca. Because I think with Lampard, he was only sacked by Chelsea because he had a bad run of form. But then, obviously, another manager came in and won the Champions League with his squad. So I think he was probably doing something wrong. So, yeah, I think Kovac, then Rooney, and them two, I think, are the ones we should be going for. Yeah, I think me and you, Joe, I think we're both in agreement that we thought that Rooney needs another club before he goes to Everton. I think... I don't know, it sounds dumb. But I think Dunk and Rooney, like, together, could do a decent job managing. But, like, obviously, that's not really a done thing. They're both very attacking-minded players. Yeah. There wouldn't be a, as much of a balance. I think if we, obviously, we're still looking for a director of football as well. I think if we got Duncan for about six or seven more games just to stable up our season, get a few 10 or 12 points, and then obviously we'd be looking at sort of mid-table, get a director of football in who can like analyse all of the different managers, see which one to suit our club, and then obviously take their time to, to get one in. Obviously, manager is your immediate issue, but something needs changing just within the upper echelons of your club. Yeah. Because right now it is poor. It's an absolute shambles. I heard something. Have you got no head of recruitment either? No, Rafa Benitez took that as well. Yeah. He took all the medical staff, all the recruitment staff, all the training staff, and now he's now he's gone, so he just fleshed out our entire football club. But, um, yeah. Oh, I can't believe that. Because the recruit... It almost seems deliberate. That's the thing. It yeah. almost seems like he has ran you guys into the ground deliberately. Agent Rafa, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get it, really. Because if Mashiri, he spent all this money, he's invested in a young Marco Silva, but then could you say the recruitment wasn't right with him, apart from Dean, yeah, Dean and Richarlison? Because... I've seen... A lot of people recently seeing it, obviously, all the things he's doing with Fulham. I don't know if you've seen their recent results. It's, it's absolutely mad. And I've seen a lot of people like saying, oh, we should have given him more time. But I think if you look at the reason he was sacked towards like the, the middle to the end of the season that he was sacked, I don't think anyone would have been saying give him more time then because we were playing atrocious football and uh, eventually we just needed someone to step in which was Duncan Ferguson, and he got the, the ship steadied again and then obviously went for Ancelotti. So, yeah, I think with with Marco Silva, although the investment probably wasn't perfect, uh, I don't think we should have given him more time. But obviously with, with um, I don't know what his full name is, Kia something. He's like from one of the Middle East countries. He's, he's mates with um, Mashiri and he's obviously influencing him a lot. And I think that's having a really bad effect on some of the decisions. I know we signed Al Ghazi, which will probably come on in a minute, yeah. but I think that was entirely a Mashiri signing. And Rafa Benitez didn't want him. I think that really soured their relationship, which 
probably was very strong before that. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things in, in him going as well. I think with uh, Marcel Brands as well, and I know, I know many would think, and I don't know about you, Alex, you would think that Mashiri sort of forced him out of the club by overruling him and giving Rafa the sort of director of football spot. But I, I just said it really then, when the lack of spending that's been spent on the right players is that down to Brand partially as well? Because he's brought players in that he's identified and thought they would work well in this team and then they've not worked well. I think during the whole time he's been at Everton Football Club, Marcel Brands, he's never been given full control, which is what I think we should have done. Like his first season, I think he had most of the control and we brought in players like Moise Keane, who should have been a good player. Gabami, who should have been a good player, but obviously the injuries... Um, got in his way and then they're pretty much the only players that, that he brought in. Alex Awobi was a Marco Silva signing. James Rodriguez, Alan Decore, all uh, Ancelotti signings. And I think there's only been one or two youth players here and there that he's brought in. So I think overall, one of the main problems was Mashiri not giving him enough control that he wanted, like he had at PSV and stuff, which is how he built PSV up financially and football-wise as well. So I think that's what we, we probably should have done. But obviously, Mashiri has to put his ego before anything else. I also, takes to one thing I wanted size. to mention, I know Alan Shearer and everyone on Match of the Day seem to think we're immune from being relegated. All right, yeah. I think Aston Villa, I think Joe will uh, say the same. Like, before the season that you got relegated, you would have felt like there's no way that you could have been relegated even when you were playing quite badly but in the end everyone probably goes down so I think we have to be very careful and more careful than they're, they're making out to be I don't know so it felt like it'd be when we actually did go down it felt like it'd been coming for a long time but I didn't believe we were going down until we went down yeah you know what I mean but like looking back it had been coming we'd been getting like 16th, 15th place results, which is nowhere near Villa should be. Um, but altogether, I think we're stronger now than we ever really have been as a club. Yeah, I think especially in the last two or three years, you've invested the right way. And obviously you've lost some big players like Jack Grealish, but with the, the money that you've spent, I think you've spent it on making the football club go in the right direction. And I think, so with Grealish last season, we finished, I think it was 10th. Uh, might have been 10th, 11th, yeah. 10th or 11th, yeah. I, I can fully see us finishing 8th this season without Grealish. And I know that's with a different manager, but I feel like we've spent the Grealish money so well. Yeah. Um, and just the development that we went through when we were in the championship has really helped build us. Like, because when, when we went down, we had a few half-decent players. But during our time in the championship, we did our research. We pulled in good management. Um, we pulled in players that other clubs weren't necessarily chasing after. And I feel like we've developed them. Like John McGinn, no one knew who he was until he came for us and then broke into the Scottish team. Mm. And now there's rumours you guys trying to sign him in there, Dan. 
Yeah, I hope we do, to be honest. He's a massive work car, and we need that. Honestly, I'm going to cry if you do. We can't lose Grealish and McGinn. Both to the Manchester clubs, who would have thought? No. No, no, no. He wasn't fit in. That's the thing. He wouldn't fit in with your squad. I think we'd get ahead of... I would put him ahead of all our midfielders, hands down. All of them? Yeah, easily Pogba. You can only say that because of the ego. That is a problem the United squad have. And McGinn's mentality is completely different. And everyone, he's going to walk in and everyone's going to be all prima donna and he's probably get the, going to get the piss ripped out of him. I hope he snaps them all, to be honest, because they need Everyone's that in the He's about... really down to earth, that's the thing. He's going to be yeah. such a contrast to every single player in your squad. Well, we'll come on to the game now, why don't we? Aston Villa 2, Manchester United 2. I want to say a game of two halves, Joe, but the first... The th- first 30 minutes, I would say we controlled Half the game, but the rest of that, I think it was all Aston Villa, to be honest. So, I I was watching it at work. I, I've already said this. Um, but I was watching for the first half an hour, and honestly, I could have cried. I could have cried, because I came into it thinking, all right, we're going to give United a run for their money here, uh, thinking, oh, we're going to do pretty well. And the first half an hour... It, it wasn't even half an hour, about 25 minutes. Was like, we were a different team from Monday, completely different. Mm, yeah. Um, and what Gerard said happened was he he had to tell some harsh truths to our players. Oh, yeah. It sounds like what's happened is he's got people on the sideline and he's given them a bollocking. Um, but he's worked, obviously. It doesn't seem to be much sourness within the club. Uh and we came back to bring it to a two-all draw. And it was one of the best performances I've seen from a, from Villa for a while. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you're totally right, to be honest. I think there's hard to think. I'm trying to get positives out of it, but it's very hard to get some out. I think I've got notes down there, and I'm saying that first 30, 25 minutes, we were completely the better team, and we deserved to get that goal, I thought. But even though it was in yeah. six minutes or something. But then th- we weren't doing anything with the ball. We were crossing it in. I think Greenwood had a ch- two chances or so. But we weren't really doing anything with the ball that was a great deal. And then... So, you were the better team. But like you're saying, you weren't doing anything. I wouldn't say you were a Europa or even Champions League squad. Yeah. You weren't You weren't worth your money. That, that... I don't think you have been. The decision, well, not really the decision. Ronaldo was meant to be injured and Pogba was injured for that game, of course, as well. The big players weren't in the team and you think to yourself, well, that first 30 minutes is probably the best I've seen of United in the past month or so. And we've not had the big ego players, like you said before, in that squad. So it almost makes you think we're actually playing as a team in that first 30 minutes, which is what everyone wants. We don't want just the individuals like we see at PSG. I know that can can work, but the individuals are very different at Manchester United than they are at PSG. And I don't know, Ralph said that we controlled the first 30 minutes of that game, the best that he's come into the club out of all the games that he's played. I would argue maybe the Crystal Palace game, but I can see where he's coming from from that point of view. Matic, I think he was so poor that game. I think we played two holders, I think. Matic went into a back three, I'm pretty sure, the second half. Uh, or just in front, 
Jacob Ramsey was taking the mick out of him. Even the, Ramsey had a great game. He had a he was magnificent, really. He got his he first goal, I think, at Villa Park, which was special for him. But it seemed like we couldn't get anywhere near you, especially when you were going down the channels as well. You were thinking, no United players are picking up Villa players. Like Ramsey was just we, getting in there, Coutinho was getting in there, Buendia. We were playing like the half a billion pound squad. Yeah, and you would, yeah. we're not. That's you. Um, I think Rashford was pretty pants as well. I'm not sure if Rashford. No, Alanga. You might have been confused with Alanga. I don't know. Rashford was trashy of the week, though. Oh, it was Monday. Monday. Rashford oh, Monday. Was really oh, Monday. Poor. Yeah. Monday. I was... Rashford was awful. I was sat with my brother, and he was going, "Oh, he's just a hungry kids merchant." <laughs> He's That's all he's got going for him at the moment. He's been shocking. I, th- I think I was in the strike for them for that game. And when the worst moment was, Martinez has parried the ball and it's come straight into Rashford's path and he's just stopped. I was sat there, heart like heart in my mouth. And then just... and <laughs> didn't the even st- have to worry about it. <laughs> the, sta- the stadium erupted in anger because I don't know what's going on with him at the moment. But when you compare him to Anthony Alanga, you think... Alanga's a bit of a breath of fresh new air, really, because he was running for the ball. We were pressing in the first couple of minutes. We looked like we were actually going to get a goal, and that left-hand side looks like we're doing well, considering how good Matty Cash has been this season as well. I think Alanga did very well. It's just, I don't know what's going on. I mean, Alex, what did you think of the game? Um, Well, it was a, a very exciting game for the neutral, but one thing I wanted to say is that I don't think last season after they went 2-0 down, that Villa would have got anything out of that game. Um, but with the investments that they've made in the summer, like Ings, Buendia, Coutinho and Luca Dean, like there's so much quality there that it just spurred them on. And then you've got quality players as well that uh, they have like John McGinn and obviously Ramsey in the midfield that they're just able to, to influence the, the game so much more because they have quality players around them. And because you have those qualities this season, uh, they were able to obviously get two goals, which on another uh, in another season I don't think they'd they'd be able to get. McGinn wasn't playing, was he? He was injured. Yeah, yeah but he, uh, was he no? He, he the got the uh, two two yellows or something. Yeah, he, he'd had a one match ban for ten he, yellows. He, yeah, and then um, and we still did as well as we did. I think mm. Coutinho played really well. Dean was pretty phenomenal. Matty Cash had a really good game. Um, him and Dean were both like show, trying to show each other up. It was really funny to watch because uh, Cash had been doing quite a few nasty runs on that wing. Um, but I think I think it's going to be a really good game on this weekend against Everton. For a Villa fan anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex, I wanted to talk to you about the Norwich-Everton game. I know we talked, spoke about Rafford before, but that game, apart from the brilliant Richarlison overhead kick, it was very disappointing. Yeah, I think we all went into it. Like, Obviously, there was reports before the game that um, uh, Benitez has had a meeting with Mishiri and it had gone positively, but uh, obviously reports from, from inside the club said something different. Uh, they said that it was a, a win or, or you're out kind of thing so um, obviously he didn't win I think we all went into it thinking oh he's, he's made a change we all thought he was going to play 4-4-2 obviously with Calvert-Lewin and Rondon um, but 
for some reason, it seemed like he was playing Cavalier up front and, and Rondon as a number 10, which I don't think gets through anyone's mind except for Rafa Benitez. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think that was our, our main downfall. And then obviously conceding two in such quick succession. Uh, one from just a horrible mistake from Michael Keane and the second one was awful defending. I don't think you can take many positives out of it other than the Richarlison overhead kick, as you said. Yeah, there's a lot of individual errors that came. And I know you can blame Rafa as much as you want, but some of the players you think they need to step the game up and it doesn't help when you're in bad form, does it? You, with I think it was Milenko when he passed the ball back into Adam Ida's path and I think he was offside anyway. But that in itself, like, it's it's not good to see, especially from a guy who's just come into the club. Yeah, I think you you kind of kind of feel sorry for him though. Like he's been stuck, chucked straight into the deep end, one hundred and eighty, uh, one hundred and twenty minutes straight on his debut. Um, but I mean, to be Premier League quality, you have to be playing better passes than that and playing a no look pass back into the into the penalty box isn't the the greatest thing to do, but. I mean, hopefully with a new manager, these defensive errors will, will hopefully stop and we'll get some defensive stability, which I'm pretty sure we were supposed to have when Benitez came in, but uh, I've not seen it so far this season. Norwich sides of things, you think they've got a couple of good players and they probably won't end up staying up, <laughs> but the players that they have got, it's a good foundation to build from. You look at uh, Adam Ida, his first Premier League goal. Very, I think he impressed very much. I think that first goal, where did he put it through? Pickford's legs or was it to the side um, I, I think it was now. to the side, but, um, the side. Yeah. it was a good finish though that and then Brandon Williams I'm not bragging about him because he's on loan from United but I'm, he did really really well that game I thought and Seamus Coleman couldn't really keep up with him I don't know if it was his speed or pace or what I don't know yeah I think it's these types of uh, results that I think Spurs teams on to sort of get out of the relegation zone and obviously at the start of the season we all thought that the Norwich were done and dusted but uh, after six games without a win, without scoring a goal, they come up and play against Everton and score twice in 20 minutes. So it's what you expect nowadays. But um, yeah, it's, it's very good from a Norwich point of view and, and hopefully they've got a they've got a good run of um, fixtures ahead of them. Hopefully they can get a few results out of them. Yep. Manchester City took on Chelsea on Saturday for the first game of match week 22. City brought the game to Chelsea, didn't they? I think the better press from City that we've seen out of all of five games against four Pep against Tuchel, that was probably the best one from a City point of view. Yeah, I think for, for most of the game, Chelsea didn't really have any attacking outlets. Obviously, City, as they do, played a really high line and obviously they were trying to play through balls to Lukaku all the time and he wasn't really getting anything out of them. Um, City, although it took them a while to, to find the back of the net, I think they had enough quality that we, we sort of knew by the, the last 20 minutes that they were going to get it. And obviously when De Bruyne uh, had a wonderful strike stuck it in the bottom corner, we knew that was pretty much game over because we hadn't seen anything from Chelsea from the, from the rest of the game. Yeah, I think Chelsea had four attempts on target. The lacking options up front was, I don't know, it was shocking really. Was that because of sort of the close proximity between the City players, the fullbacks coming inside? And then the midfielders drop in, so it almost creates like the passing lanes for Lukaku doesn't exist because he's trapped, basically. Yeah, um, I think they pretty much marked the the attackers uh, really like almost perfectly. You had Ziyech and um, Pulisic behind Lukaku and 
obviously they didn't really let them play having the, the three in midfield with City sort of stopped Manchester uh, stopped Chelsea from being able to find any through balls and obviously with Lukaku not being the, the fastest runner having Walker and Cancelo on the in the fullbacks just really yeah. limited their amount of play that they could have going forward so yeah West Ham go on Joe have you guys talked about the whole Lukaku situation no we haven't actually because that was after wasn't it I think it was two yeah, weeks so. after we did it yeah we can talk about it now if yeah yeah go on go for it so it was before Christmas was the interview wasn't it was it between New Christmas and New Year was it I don't know. It was before the new year. Before, it was yeah. in 2021. And it's come out and he's um, he said he doesn't like the way the club's being run, hasn't he? He doesn't yeah. like his like situation at Chelsea and everything. Yeah. And I think that was really poor. That's not something a player should be saying in an interview. That's something you bring up with your manager, with the chairman. Just to someone in a position of power. You shouldn't be saying that on live television or to a interviewer. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I don't know how he can moan that much when he's been injured the majority of the season. Exactly. Exactly. And he's been okay. I wouldn't say he's been like his performances just seem a bit lazy. Like every, once every few games, he'll pop up and he'll score a couple. And he's powerful on that. Yeah, I think um, he has to improve the quality of like his own game before going and criticising like the the manager's tactics and everything, and saying how he should be the the main focal team of the f- focal point of the team, and how they should play to to suit him and everything. And I just feel like it's not a very professional thing to do to go out and say all this against your manager without, I presume, talking him talking to him before. So. I don't know where it's come from from a from a player who I previously thought was quite a professional player, but well, I'll say about him. I'll say about Ronaldo. Both of them have been really lazy since they've come back, in my opinion. Like, um, just not really tracking back for balls, not helping out the team. And I know it is Ronaldo, and um, he's kind of expecting a ball because he's Ronaldo. He shouldn't be doing that. He's known for his work rate. And he's not doing that. Lukaku as well, he's just relying on his name to get the ball. And it it has worked. It has paid off. But I, I think both of them have just been really lazy. Even against Brighton, I was I was watching him last night and he was getting past the ball, but his first touch, as we've mentioned on a number of occasions, is not good enough. He can't pass that well. And I don't get how you can think you're the centre point of the team if yourself isn't the quality that is expected by the rest of the team. And I think them subbing on Timo Werner as well and Kai Havers, I think that offered them much, much more than when they had uh, Lukaku on his own up front. Do, do you know what I think it is now? With strikers and centre-forwards, and I, for me, we're in a state now where Pep's doing another magnificent change in football. You spoke about doing him false nine at Barcelona. He's changed the tactics for a 4-3-3 that no one would have ever thought of. For me now, not having a striker in your team might even become the norm. 
because I can see where Pep's coming from. You might not be getting the goal scorers who get 20 plus a season. You'll get more team goals. You'll get more teams pressing because they've got a striker who doesn't rely on staying up front, getting past the ball and counter-attack. The press is going to, I said it before, the press is going to be unreal because you've got a player who's used to playing on the wing who would press more than a striker up front or even a midfielder like Bernardo Silva slotted in there, Mares, De Bruyne, Sterling, all them players. They'll all run. And for me, this is sort of another tactical masterclass coming from Pep. So I have a question to you guys. Do you think we need the 20-plus goal scorers a season for the top clubs in Europe anymore? When you, when you have a, like a strong, structured midfield who will play as a unit, any one of them could score a goal. Um, and it ultimately, it does result in a stronger team, in my opinion. Rather than having nine players and then someone stood on the end of the box waiting for one of them to give it him and just relying on whether or not he'll get that in. Because if your strike is not on form, you don't score. But if you have more of a, just a unit, one of them players isn't on form, you're still performing because everyone's playing together. Yeah. What do, what do you think, Alex? Because the argument would be, we've got Erling Kalland who runs all game and he's basically sort of a work rate of a winger, you could say. But there's a rare breed of him, and that's the reason why he's got 78 goals or games in 77 games. I definitely think it's a hard one because at some points when you're watching City, they have so many qualities, and the fact that they're like, like able to, to just pass it into the goal almost, like they have enough players to just uh, quality players to just like pass it three or four times and just slot it in. But there's at some points in their play that you just think. If they had a striker right now, they could go up for some of the headers from crosses and stuff and just yeah. put three or four more in the goal. So I think it really depends on who you're playing and, and what style of play that these top teams choose to play. Now, at this point in the podcast, we unfortunately lost the recording. So I do apologise. Uh, we just went through the latest news, some transfer news and some of the rest of the games as well, including West Ham versus Leeds United, which was a great game. But yeah, unfortunately, we can't get that recorded back. And I'm really, really sorry for that. But next week, we're hopefully going to be back. So make sure you tune in. Follow all of our social medias on Instagram, Twitter and Spotify. Uh, also, you've probably listened to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts as well. We're on Google Podcasts. And make sure to give us a five-star rating on all of those platforms as well because it does help us a great deal. That's it from me. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.